This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome. It's a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It's our football Friday. It's our final football Friday of the 2022-23 NFL season. The Super Bowl, of course, coming up this Sunday. We've got Dan Zampano coming up here in just a couple of minutes. We've got a lot to get to with him, so we're going to get to that fairly quickly. Uh, I just wanted to take a couple of seconds to talk a little bit about the NBA trade deadline, which was absolutely nuts yesterday. I mean, we already had uh, the Kyrie Irving thing. We talked about Kevin Durant going to Phoenix, so the the Nets had already started to – uh, to unravel their teams. Uh, Jay Crowder was moved to Milwaukee, uh, a guy who was disgruntled, didn't want to play in Phoenix this year, so he moved to Milwaukee. Um, all kinds of stuff going on. The, the Celtics added a big man. It wasn't a huge trade, but the Celtics just needed to tweak things a little bit. Golden State trying to get back into it, reacquired uh, Gary Payton the second, um, but they gave up a uh, – uh, a number two pick, and James Wiseman as well uh, in a four-trade deal. I mean, there was a lot of multiple-team trades. Just, it was crazy. Um, of course, you know, we know the Lakers made uh, a couple of moves. The Clippers got into it as well yesterday. They reacquired Eric Gordon, who started his career with them. He got them from Houston. Um, they also got uh, Bones Highland from Denver for a couple of second-round picks. Uh, it is uh, – they got uh, – uh, they traded Luke Kennard to Memphis – uh, and John Wall back to Houston, uh, but they got Mason Plumlee from Charlotte. I mean, it was nuts, absolutely nuts. Uh, the 76ers tweaked things a little bit. They got uh, Jalen McDaniels from Charlotte uh, as they try to keep pace with the Boston Celtics. So uh, just a nutty, nutty day. Um, and, and the Lakers, who had made some moves but don't have, like they got Russell Westbrook and stuff, but they don't, or I mean they shipped out Russell Westbrook and a few other guys. They only had three reserves on their bench last night, and they were without uh, LeBron James, who has a sore ankle a couple of days after uh, breaking the NBA scoring record. He didn't play last night. Uh, so no surprise the Bucks beat them last night uh, without LeBron and without most of their bench. Uh, so the Lakers are in trouble. Uh, you know, they're trying to find a way to stay in it, but they've lost three straight now, and they are in big, big trouble. And lest you think it was only uh, the NBA doing work yesterday, there was a, a, a big trade in the NHL yesterday. The Rangers got Vladimir Tarasenko uh, from the St. Louis Blues. Uh, that's a big deal because uh, it, it helps them keep pace with the Carolina Hurricanes and uh, with the New York Islanders as well. The Islanders, of course, recently uh, made a trade to get the captain from the Vancouver Canucks over on their team. So it was something that they were, you know, desperate to try to do. Tarasenko, uh, look, uh, he's got 29 points in 38 games this season, but this is a guy that's scored more than 30 goals six times in his career, so that gives them some uh, some extra firepower on the Rangers' front line. And uh, one news out of Major League Baseball yesterday, a little bit of a surprise to me, uh, the Padres signed Hugh Darvish 
to a five-year extension yesterday. It's going to take you, Darvish, uh, into his age 42 season. Um, he will make $108 million over the next six years, including the $18 million he was already due in 2023. He was going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So now they've locked him up till he's 42. Um, and, and I think this is simply, look, I don't think they have any illusions that at age 42, U Darvish is going to be throwing 175 innings. But I think what they did, and, and because they've got so many huge contracts, I think what they did, instead of having to drop a whole bunch of money with Darvish next year to try to retain him, by spreading this out over five years and getting it into his age 40 season, you know, 42 season when he might not be that effective, I think it's just simply a way for the Padres to keep a key member of their rotation in-house and spread the average annual value out over those five years of the contract so that they don't take as big of a cap hit or, or as a, a luxury tax hit as they might otherwise. That's the only thing I can think of because it doesn't make, to me, baseball sense to pay you Darvish into his age 42 season. Look, you um, Darvish has been pretty good for them, but you Darvish is not Justin Verlander. You Darvish is not Max Scherzer, um, you know, some of the top guys. He's, he's okay, but he is not at that level. And so I think, uh, you know, look, he was 16-8. and eight. Last season, an ERA of a little over three, he had one of his better seasons in a while. But if you project that out, I don't see him doing that. He's not a power pitcher the way that guys like Scherzer and Verlander are. So we'll see. But I think it's just really a way of uh, spreading the cap or the uh, the money out over a number of years. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zampano is going to join us to uh, talk about all the things going on in the NFL and break down the big game, give you his prediction. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning, and he's with us for a, well, not a final time this season because he'll be back at the end of the Super Bowl. He'll be back for the draft. He never goes away. Dan Zampano, good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a virus, Gene, if that's what you're saying, <laughs> but I will say this. If I never go away because football never goes away. It's now an official 24-7, 365 sport. And this is the most celebratory uh, weekend of the year, I will say. It's, we have a game that needs no introduction whatsoever. It's the 57th time we get to do the Super Bowl. Well, before we get to this week's uh, big game, let's talk about some of the things that have happened around the league this week. Uh, Brian Flores got a job. Uh, he is the new defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. Look, this is a guy with a really deep defensive background, uh, this is a pretty good hire for the Vikings, isn't it? I love it. Uh, I texted one of my brothers uh, who is a Vikings fan, and he just said he's going to make us meaner. And I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. I think that that's a great term for it. I think Flores has definitely come from the school of hard knocks, the Belichick way where he's grown up in his defensive prowess. I think it was a joke that he wasn't hired as a defensive coordinator Obviously, there were extenuating circumstances beyond that right. uh, with his troubles with the league. But I think that um, whoever hires him is, is going to get a guy that's going to work hard, that's going to coach players hard, that's going to really develop more of the man-to-man defense. It'll be more predicated on timely blitzing than just blitzing all over the place. And 
you know, I thought that, you know, he went and he spent a year with Tomlin in, in Pittsburgh, and I don't think there's a better place that he could have gone to, to help out this Vikings defense that was just horrific. And really, it's a lot of personnel stuff, but it's a lot of, for the Vikings, they have so many young players and, and a lot of old guys that they're going to be maybe phasing out over the offseason. I think it benefits them to get a guy that can really develop talent really well, and that's a perfect fit for them. Another guy who got a job as a D.C. this week, and it's another guy that – yeah, there was a lot of controversy in the fact that Steve Wilkes didn't get the job in Carolina after taking over them, and you know he led them to a six and six finish. And there's a lot of people that thought he could have got, he should have gotten the job. And there's actually some rumors that the locker room was not thrilled that he didn't get the job. They gave it, of course, to Frank mm-hmm. Reich. But now uh, he lands uh, with the 49ers. Way to land on your feet, huh? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, you do a good enough job as an interim head coach, and you, you kind of get rewarded for it, right? I mean, it's a plug-and-play scenario with that group. I mean, they are just ruthless defensively, and I think a guy like Fred Warner is going to really benefit from, from that type of a, of a defensive coordinator, him coming over from Carolina and what he did this year once Matt Rule was fired was brought that team together and just got it to play well. He, again, another guy that brought an edge and a toughness to not just the defense, but the offense was there. Right. was horrible. And it ended up, they went to a run, running game, and they got a lot better once McCaffrey got out and once Rule got out. They figured out how to use the talent around them, and I think that that's exactly what one of Steve Wilk's specialty is. is he's got a lot of talent. Now he really gets to unleash how he schemes as a as a defensive coordinator. So I think Kyle Shanahan hit a home run. He, he loses to Miko Ryans. He's, he's lost Bobby Salah. He's just plug in place with these defensive coordinators. I think Steve Wilkes was a good hire for them. Yeah. And you know, if you're Wilkes, you think, well, if I look at the, my previous two, my two previous predecessors, uh, they ended up with head coaching jobs. So maybe, maybe this will work out well for him. And look, this is a guy with a deep background. I mean, uh, in defense, it, he was with uh, what the the uh, the, old, the former Redskins. He worked uh, as a defensive backs mm-hmm. coach with the Bears. He worked with the Chargers, the Panthers. I think he was the Cleveland defensive coordinator at one time. I mean, so it wasn't yeah. like they just took a good name and plugged him in. This is a guy that's got plenty of defensive chops. Yeah, he's he's ahead of the game with all that experience. Plus, he was a head coach for a year, right? Uh, and he was a head coach technically for a year and a half. Uh, he was with the Cardinals for a year and then and then just did half the year with the Panthers. So I, I absolutely think that if he does really well with San Francisco, man, Shanahan, man, he's he's just he better be ripping his hair out every offseason. He's like, <laughs> hey, guys, uh, get a year ahead on who may be a good defensive coordinator in a year. I mean, it's crazy what he has to go through. Um, the uh, the Tennessee Titans stayed in-house um, for their uh, their new offensive coordinator, going to Tim Kelly, who was their passing game coordinator, they called it, uh, and he is going to be the new uh, OC there. Um, were, were you surprised that, that with the struggles that they had that they decided to stay in-house to do this? Um, I, don't, I don't really know Tim Kelly very well, and I don't think most people do, so... I'm sure that there might have been maybe some guys out there that they could have reached out to. But at the end of the day, maybe they just thought it better to say, hey, you know, we feel like maybe this guy who's our passing game coordinator, maybe there was a difference of opinion on whether they should be passing more. Okay. And maybe scheming up passing stuff more. So 
And you got to remember, I mean, the GM was fired. Right. So now they have the new GM. And, you know, maybe there's a difference in philosophy that some of the coaches might have in the locker room. That's, that's a fascinating part of the league that we really don't get to see is the coach divide on philosophy. And from the executives to the, even the coaches themselves divided themselves on even the offensive side of the ball. So maybe that was the case. I couldn't tell you. I don't know much about him. But, you know, I trust Vrabel mostly in a lot of the decisions that he makes. This will be Vrabel the delegator instead of Vrabel the coach. And so far as the coach, he's been very good. We'll see how he is in handling his coaches. I think we got a little bit more of a peek into some of that this year with the with the drama that went on in New England, right? I mean, we saw we heard more about Absolutely. we heard more about relationships between assistant coaches and players and assistant coaches with each other and everything else than I think I've ever heard. Uh, and and it, and it was strange of all places for that to come out that that somehow New England suddenly became the soap opera. Well, it was uh, obviously because, you know, it's kind of like what we just talked about with Kyle Shanahan, the turnover that they have had in New England with coaches. Yeah. It just has not been something that, you know, other teams typically have to deal with, and they've had to deal with it a lot. And now you see some of the hires on some of the positional coaches that they've dealt with. They just hired Adrian Clem from Oregon, Oregon's head coach. Yep who had one of the best offensive lines in the country last year. He has connections to Bill O'Brien. Seems like Bill O'Brien is getting a lot of leeway on who exactly he wants to hire. Mm -hmm. And remember, Clem is being brought up from Oregon. I believe Clem made around $3.5 million per year. Wow. So And is getting a pay raise. Wow. So you can see that craft means business. And they are going to invest. They've invested in the team. Now it's time to invest in the coaching staff, and they are going gung-ho in how they're approaching it. What's what's going to be interesting is, is I read this week, um, the Patriots, once again, have quite a bit of cap room to play with. Um, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Dan, didn't I see that they have like the third or fourth most amount of cap space in the NFL this coming offseason? Yeah. I mean, at, top five, I believe it's around $36 million. Yeah, something like $36 million, and they've got some big decisions to make. But but having these new coaches in there and having this money to play with, I mean, you know, if you're Bill O'Brien, you probably feel like you got maybe an opportunity to be a kid in a candy store here. I think the biggest issue the Patriots have, they got one guy that's like an albatross around their neck, that contract for Janu Smith, who has been one of the worst signings that they have had uh, in recent memory. I don't, mm. you know, I mean, that's, that's the one – I think that's the one big mistake they made in that offseason, don't you? Absolutely, and I think Nelson Aguilar probably runs into that boat. Yeah. But again, yep. they can get out from underneath that contract this summer if they want to and not take as big of a cap hit. So you can imagine that Nelson Aguilar might be a guy you think might be on the chopping block. But you're right. They have a lot of decisions to make. We don't know the status of Slater and McCourty. Right. We don't know if those two are coming back. We have no idea what they want to do if they want to re-sign Damian Harris and have the one-two punch back, or are they going to maybe draft a running back, sign somebody off the street? You know that at the East-West Shrine game, they were very much looking at specifically those scat backs, like those pass-catching backs, That's who they requested to work with over the Falcons head coaches working with them. Mm -hmm. I I thought that was interesting. So they've got a decision to make there. And then you've got another one with Jacoby Myers. Do you re-sign him? Do you re-sign Jonathan Jones, who's 
maybe their best corner right now. Right. They have a lot of decisions to make before any of this. I mean, those decisions have to get made really a lot before any outside signings right. get made. So remember, they still have to pay rookies, and they still have to pay guys that they may want to bring back or not. And we'll see what kind of market. I think Damian Harris and Jonathan Jones are likely to get pretty decent market play. Jacoby Myers might be the best receiver on the free agency market. Really? I, I think he, he, is, he is really – there is not a lot of talent in the free agency market this year. He really has a shot to get himself a nice little contract uh, hmm. from someone, whether it's the Patriots or not. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, uh, we will – I guess we'll, that is uh, yet to be determined. Speaking of decisions that need to be made, we still have two football teams out there looking for head coaches. We still uh, there's still been no de- decision made in Indianapolis or in St. Louis. It sounds I mean not St. Louis, I call it St. Louis. Wow. Arizona. That <laughs> shows you my age. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> baseball on the mind there. Uh, now Arizona, it sounds like Arizona has tried to rope a couple of people in and they've been turned down. Sean Payton being one of them and and part of the rumor with what's going on with the Cardinals is that people are leery of wanting to work with Kyler Murray, which <laughs> and and mm-hmm. look that I mean, do you really think that that's the case? Is Kyler Murray that seen as that big of a problem? Uh, I mean, uh, what do you think? Well, <laughs> yeah, again, I, I, I think it's I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, from what we've seen, we've had this conversation multiple times about how you know selfish the guy has been and his body language and his leadership. And, you know, he's a great talent. There's no question about that. But I said it from day one, when he was drafted, I just don't see how this guy is going to lead a locker room. Right. That's my issue with Kyler Murray. He's got all the talent in the world. His attitude sucks. Right. (laughs) And if you really think about it, they're really not getting him back till November. That's true. December. Yep. That's true. I mean, you know, and that's, so that's one year basically wasted with Kyler Murray and this giant contract that you've got to undertake. I mean, they might end up getting kind of on the back burner of the coaching tree here and hoping that they find a diamond in the rough somewhere. Cause that's a tough, tough job to undertake as a GM to find a head coach that wants to work with the guy. If it's that bad, if it's as bad as it, as it looks, you better start looking for a real solid backup or somebody on the market that is at least able to, you know, go through a 16 game gauntlet. Because I got a, it, it is, it does not sound good at all. I got a good name for you for a backup. How about, mm-hmm. how about, because it's, it looks like there is a very good chance. Derek Carr is going to be heading to the new Orleans saints. How about here's a decent backup? Why doesn't Arizona go out and get Andy Dalton? He's a free agent. Andy Dalton was not terrible for the New Orleans Saints this year. You know, I mean, he's not a guy that's leading you to the to the promised land or anything, but he could be a capable backup and able to keep you in games. But it looks like Derek Carr might be heading to New Orleans. He met there. He met with them yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. It's, it's sounding more and more like a reuniting with Dennis Allen as a possibility. Yep. But I would say in in terms of. Um, Excuse me. In terms of Andy Dalton, uh, I don't hate it. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think you need to invest heavily in a backup to Andy Dalton if he's going to be your guy. Right. I think you probably need to draft a quarterback later in the round yep. to, to get somebody. Whether you're going to look at, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a fourth or fifth round pick on a quarterback 
uh, to, you know, maybe not trigger Kyler Murray. Right. Say, hey, you know, we're not, we're not, this isn't our guy. You're our guy. Cause we've obviously committed to you, but you know, we, we could use a development, a developmental quarterback. I mean, they are in such a rut right now. <laughs> yeah. and, and that was the power of that contract. I mean, that contract did so much more than just get a quarterback on the roster. It fed into the narrative. It fed Kyler's ego and has made him, made them hostage to him. Is it is it surprising to you that this is really the first? I, 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 the way you just put that is very interesting. It, it's the first time I can think of where you, where I can point to a a situation where signing a guy to a big contract turned him into. Uh, a gor- a gorilla, I guess. There's no other way to put. It. I mean, you know, like a ninety thousand pound gorilla that just does whatever he wants to do. Is is, is that? Mm-hmm. Can you remember that ever happening before with a, with a with a like a first round draft pick like that? Uh, you know, I don't recall. You, you, there's a lot of diva quarterbacks. Yeah, there are. But know? this, but this but guy with is, these contracts. Yeah. Right with these contracts, I would just say, you know. It almost reminds me of kind of like a, a, I don't know, maybe like a Jeff George drama type of deal with all of this. Okay, you know? all right. And and him getting contracts, like that was, you know, late 90s. Yep, yep. But, and, and, and mid-90s. But, you know, to me, it just comes down to this. You know, one player cannot be bigger than the rest of the team, right. no matter how good he is. And this guy wasn't even close, leadership-wise. It just tell, It just shows you that, Really, these guys just don't have any clue. They see they see the talent, and they just don't factor in all the other things that it takes to be quarterback. It takes to be a leader. Like, this guy's representing your franchise, and really, you know that you you, you kind of sell your you kind of you gotta sell yourself short by you know kind of kowtowing and catering to make this guy happy. Listen, like yeah, it's hard to get a good quarterback. Is Kyler Murray? Would you consider Kyler Murray? One of the elite quarterbacks in football. No, certainly well, he, talent-wise, no. he's got a lot of talent, but he's not considered prove an elite quarterback. Yeah. He's just not. Well, you got to get on the field and prove it. I'll, because I'll tell you what, it, it, here's a guy. Uh, he's got more talent than, let's say, well, maybe I had apples and oranges, but Justin Fields in Chicago, right? We thought that I thought that guy was done. I thought that, you know, with what we saw early on, I didn't think that he was going to turn into what he did this year. He he turned things around. Kyler Murray has that kind of talent. The problem is is that is he has to be willing to, to, to do the work that obviously a guy like Justin Fields did. Right. And, you know, I, I, but, you know, what Justin Fields did not do was pen a letter right. from his agent. <laughs> right. And look, his agent, yeah, yeah. Yeah. his agent did the smart thing. He knew Kyler Murray just got the Cardinals to the playoffs. I got to capitalize on this now, right? So I can get this kid some money, right? And you know, if Justin Fields goes out next year, you know, and has a good year, and the Bears don't make the playoffs, do you think he's going to be clamoring? For a two hundred fifty million dollar contract, I mean, yeah. I don't see that. No, no, I, agree. I. And if he does, the Bears will go pound the pound fan. Yeah, see you later. And you're going right. to play out your rookie deal. Right. There was no reason for the Cardinals to sign him to that contract, and it is going to change that contract. Look at what Baltimore is doing with Lamar Jackson. That contract is changing 
the way GMs are going to see quarterbacks that may have a ton of talent, but can they go out and win a Super Bowl with a team built around them? He's had a lot of talent around him, Kyler Murray, much more than I would argue Lamar Jackson has. Yeah, I agree. Can can is is this going to change the way GMs view the position and spending money at the position? I think so. Interesting. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, somebody to lead your organization, and th- again, the front office still looking uh, for a head coach, and that's Indianapolis, and the soap opera that is the Colts continues. I guess the <laughs> I guess the one good thing I heard coming out of this week is that it's sounding less and less likely. It sounds like Ursay has been turned away from actually considering Jeff Saturday as his uh, permanent head coach. It sounds like he is uh, uh, he was warned off of that. So now they're kind of back to square one. Do you think this is a case of them waiting until the Super Bowl's over and they have their eye on one of the one of the coordinators there? So they had an intervention. <laughs> that's, what it, what it yes, like I, that's what it sounds like, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just uh, the fact that we're going to three rounds. And, look, everybody's going to make their, you know, decisions. But the longer this drags on, the less time that these coaches have to prepare and these GMs have to prepare for free agency, right. which opens in a month. So, like, the league is it's coming. Like, it's coming. The combine opens in, like, a couple of weeks. I mean, you have to get stuff prepared. You have to get coaches in line. Like, you can't be waiting around till mid-February to hire a head coach. Right. I mean – there's stuff that has to go on in mid-February, March, and then the league year and free agency all starts, and then people are going on. People aren't going on vacation until after the draft. Like that's just it, that's what it is. Right. I mean, this season keeps going, so you really got to get your ducks in order. I think personally, the name that I keep hearing is Shane Steichen, who's the Eagles' offensive coordinator. I think that there's a possibility that he could be a major candidate to go. I've also heard on the Indianapolis side and on the Arizona side. Uh, I know that Lou Anaromo from the Bengals, the defensive coordinator has gotten, uh, you know, at least getting an interview in Arizona okay. and maybe drawing some interest in Indianapolis. Finally, I don't know why people have waited on that guy. I mean, he's been absolutely brilliant for that Bengals defense, but um, you know, I think that that's probably the case. People want some of the Eagles magic, I don't know what the Colts are doing necessarily at quarterback right now. I'd imagine that they're going to take a look at the draft and see right. what that is. And I imagine that Matt Ryan will probably be back if he doesn't retire. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a tough job. Again, another kind of a rebuild and it doesn't make it any easier when you have very little time to prepare for all the things you have to prepare for in the off season. Speaking of quarterbacks, how about the uh, Washington Commanders this week coming out and saying that Sam Howell is going to be QB number one going into training camp? Oh, I love it. I mean, what else do you – what else – yeah, you signed Carson once, and yeah, you had Heineke. We know what the road is with those guys. Right. Like, we know what it is. You know, give this kid a chance. I mean, I said it at the end of last year and really the beginning of last year too is – the best preseason quarterback of all the rookies that I saw in, in preseason was Sam Howell. I thought he was fantastic in preseason. Uh, and then he came out and he played unbelievable in the last game of the year. Right. So um, I, I see, I, I could see Sam Howell garnering his way to say, hey, you know, don't forget about me. You drafted me for a reason. I think he's fearless. 
I think he's got a big arm. He's athletic. I mean, I commend Rivera for doing something like that. I think if we're going to, if we're going to see what we have, like we can't keep, we, we can't, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing a thousand times and thinking it's going to change. I mean, let's, let's see what this kid has, you know? Um, Sean Payton already kind of laid down the law to Russell Wilson. Didn't tell him outright. It sounds like, but he did, he did so mm-hmm. through his news conference, basically saying, Hey, uh, your personal quarterback coach. Yeah. He's not coming to our facilities. Uh, you know, we, we kind of saw, <laughs> we kind of saw a, a lot of that with Tom Brady in his final couple of years with the Patriots, uh, with his, you know, with his, his fitness guru, so to speak. Um, you know, I, look, I, you can't blame Sean Payton. I mean, he's going to want to, I think, try to keep as tight a rein on this thing as he can, and especially with Russell Wilson because he knows one thing. His job – well, not his job, but his his reputation is going to be staked on him being able to fix Russell Wilson, and he doesn't need any outside noise. I mean, it's, it's, it's the great – you know, Parcelsian way. It's to leave your ego at the door or right. don't show up. Right. I mean, that's that's what's great about it. You know, I mean, Russ is not going to get away with what he got away with now. I mean, now there's somebody in the room that is not a yes man. That's not there to please him. Yep. It's, hey, I'm here to win. I got a six-year deal too, buddy. You know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm here. Right. So, you know, it's, it's my way. And guess what? I got one of these rings. You may have one too. But I got one as well. So you want to compare sizes or you want to listen to me, <laughs> you know? And, and, like, this is what I do. Right. And this is – Sean has been doing it way longer than Russ has been doing it. So, like, it, last time I checked, Russ wasn't the most liked and lovable character in the Denver. In Denver. Right. So – and Sean Payton is being seen as the savior. I think I commend him for Sean. And I don't think they – I don't think they hate each other. And I don't think he means it in a, in a mean way. He knows it's what he has to do, right? Sean Payton. It's what he has to do to, to get this to get this team and this offense back on track because they truly are a quarterback away. They they really are. They've got all the pieces mostly in place. They just need that offensive scheme to work and their quarterback to buy in. And if he doesn't buy in, there's no chance the rest of the team doesn't. I like it for I like it. I like it for Denver. I love this hire for them. And I didn't think it was going to happen, but here we are. You know, I was just thinking, I'm, I'm waiting for the time that you and I have one of these conversations that Tom Brady's name doesn't come up. I was just, you know, I just, <laughs> well, you had, you brought up no, Alex Guerrero. Uh, I know. And I'm like, right. okay. I know. I, well, but, but I'm not done with Tom Brady. That's, that's, I guess that's my point is like, and I said this on oh, my, okay. I said this on my show this week, Tom Brady announced that he is going to take a year off before joining uh, Fox. Which you know, look, I don't blame him. He's you know he's he needs to decompress, get his life together, whatever. Here's the thing, I'm, and I know this sounds terrible, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I'm ready for Tom Brady to go away. I'm ready to stop talking about Tom Brady. I'm ready to stop hearing about Tom Brady. I'm certainly ready to stop seeing pictures of Tom Brady sitting on his couch in his underwear. Did you see that this week? <laughs> I tried not to look. I mean, honestly. I mean, honest to God, tough. I mean, so I'm ready for Tom Brady to, 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 you know what? Take that, take a sabbatical, go to like Tibet, something, just go somewhere <laughs> where we don't have to talk about you for a year. Um, but, but I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, don't you think this is probably a good idea for him to, to take some time and kind of get his ducks in a row, so to speak? 
I think so. And it's not necessarily ducks in a row. I think everything in his life is absolutely kind of, uh, you know, lined up for him, except for his personal life. Right. Except for his family. Right. And I think that's really where the rubber meets the road. He could keep playing if he wanted to. Right. He absolutely could keep playing. And he could go. And, you know, we heard all about, you know, uh, it was probably more likely that he probably would have ended up back in Tampa. And I think it's good for everybody that he didn't come back. Yep. But I I also think that, you know, the thing that the, something is always going to get you, you know, something always gets the, gets everybody to get them to retire. And his is his family. And, and he, and, you know, you see him down in Miami already, you know, visiting his kid's school and whatnot. And, but I don't think you're going to see Brady kind of going away. I think we all have Brady fatigue yeah. at this point. Yeah. It's just been going on for so long. He's a football ambassador. He's kind of like how Peyton Manning is, you know? Yeah. I think Peyton is a lot more, you Pey- know, bearable. Peyton's got more uh, of a personality. His personality. Yeah. Yep. Right. He's got a lot more personality. And I think Tom is very robotic in a lot of, like, how he views, uh, you know, football. Yep. Uh, outside of that, it's, it's hard for him to connect, I think. Uh, but I think that, you know, I think that you won't see the last of him. He's going to be an ambassador for the game. He's got all of his brands, yep. so he's doing all of that. He's a business guy. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, he's the most recognizable face from American football in the world. So, you know, I mean, I know we, I know we have battle fatigue and Brady fatigue, <laughs> but you know, sorry, this is this is this is twenty twenty three now. We're yep. in. I can't yeah. even count. Uh, the internet rules. So let's let's uh, one last Brady thing before we move on. Um, did you hear the podcast this week um, that uh, he's got on Sirius XM and uh, the, and he was on with and Bill Belichick was on and man it was a love fest. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. I I have to t- let me tell you the most stunning thing I heard in that podcast was Bill sure. Belichick saying that it was an honor to be able to coach Tom Brady. that's not something I ever expect to hear out of of Bill Belichick. He said it was an honor, and he said, you know what? Nobody, you know, most coaches never get the opportunity to coach somebody like him. I mean, I just, I thought that was great. I thought it was great, too. My, my, I have two reactions to it. One is that they both think on the same wavelength. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, Tom, for years, did the financial favors for yes. the New England Patriots. Absolutely. And cared literally only about, I mean, Tom could have, you couldn't have never paid Tom as much as you, it, he, there, was, there was no number yep. you could have put on it, you know, yep. to, to have him play. And he could have done that. He could have blown out the spending and been like, no, F you, pay me. Kyler but he didn't. Uh, he was, he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he cared so much about winning. This is a great lesson for Kyler. Listen up, Kyler. Right. Uh, the, the, this is, they cared so much about winning and they were so in lockstep about how to win that it never mattered for him about the money. Right. And he was taken care of. He, he knew what he, he knew what he needed. He, he knew how much money he needed and he knew what it was going to take for his team to be successful so they could use the money to pay other players. However, this whole hunky dory, like, Oh, the media tried to pull us apart right. at the end, and the the the, the Brady Belichick thing, and it's stupid, and this, that, and the other. 
Let us remember, okay, at the end, how messy things were. Yep. Nobody, nobody forgets, okay, that Tom Brady, when he was asked by Jim Gray whether he felt appreciated back five years ago, said, I plead the fifth. Yep. I mean, right. like, you know, stuff like that. Right. I mean, yeah, he wasn't, I mean, let's not, let's not forget how things ended here. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was obvious, obvious that these two were at each other's throats really from 2016, maybe even going back to the Jimmy Garoppolo draft yep. 2014 on that these two really, and the fact that they made it work and won three Super Bowls, I mean, and really not liking each other too much right. is remarkable. I mean, really, really remarkable because they always kept the focus on winning. I mean, it, it, read the Dynasty book, man. Read yep. the Jeff Benedict book. It, you know it. It's yep. all in there. Well, I mean, it is remarkable that they did that. But if we're going to sit here and pretend that, like, things are all rosy and they were always rosy, we got another thing coming. Oh, no. I, you know, and, and here's the thing. I mean, and I was going to bring up that part, you know, that Tom Brady was the one that brought up the whole, oh, it was the media trying to portray us as being at each other's throats. I was going to get there. But I, my point was, I think from Belichick's standpoint, being the great historian of the game that he is, and, and make no mistake, he is probably he probably should be the guy who's running the Hall of Fame when he finally retires from coaching. This is how much this guy knows about the sport. I think mm-hmm. it was good to see him. It was like he was he wasn't looking at it as a head coach anymore. He was looking at it from a historian standpoint of how of how historic it was to be able to be associated with a guy with that level of talent and that level, not even necessary talent, because there are other quarterbacks that are more talented, but a guy that had that kind of drive and will to win. Yeah. And, and I think it's hard to come across guys like that. And, and, you know, you look for players like that, that have this ultimate fire and ultimate drive. Joe Burrow's got a lot of that. He does. You know, does. Yeah. I mean, I think he has a lot of that. I think Peyton Manning had a lot of that, just the will to win. And he was just so on it all the time. Um, these guys were killers. Yeah. I mean, you have a killer instinct. And that's really hard to find with the talent. For all the, 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 the talent that Tom Brady lacked, you're right, it was his acumen, but he got his body better. He got better at, at – he increased his talent. You remember, I mean, Tom Brady was not Tom Brady until about 2007. I still laugh. Every, I mean – I still laugh every time I see a picture of him from the Combine when he was coming out of Michigan. The, the picture of him, like, with no yeah. shirt on. And the sh- I, I, you look at that and you go, that's a guy that's getting the sand kicked in his face on a beach, right? I mean, when you, Absolutely. When you saw that. So, so, Absolutely. He, so he turned himself into Tom Brady. He didn't come out of Michigan as Tom Brady. No, no, he didn't. He had the fire. Yes. I will definitely say he had that. He just didn't have the talent yet. Right. And he developed that. And really around 2006, after the 2006 season, they realized – Okay, Tom is starting to you know really develop into something really good here. Let's get him some weapons, and of course, oh seven happens, and he became the offensive powerhouse that that he became. So you know, it, it didn't really happen till then. So that's so rare, and and you don't see. I mean, he he puts him in the rarefied. He like probably he loved LT. 
Yep. As you know. Yep. I mean, he talks about LT all the time. He, I mean, the way he talks about Brady, I mean, it's, it's up there with LT, maybe even surpassing it for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, and he's right. And just because he lived it, you know, doesn't make him, doesn't make him wrong about how much winning and how gifted uh, and how driven a player like Tom Brady was. All right, let's uh, let's let's get to the big game. It is time uh, to start talking about this. You know, and let's I do it. <laughs> I've told you how much I hate this bye week, and I do. Um, yeah. And I'll and I said this on the show this week. I don't feel jazzed about this Super Bowl, and I should because it's no. two. It's two really good teams. I mean, this is one of the rare times when you can actually look and say that. At least I believe the two best teams got there. You know, um, you, you mm-hmm. could argue maybe the Chiefs a little bit whether whether the Chiefs were really the best, but it was pretty close. This is one of the few times where there isn't somebody like last year when the Bengals got there. They didn't. We were like, well, how the hell did they get here? You know, it was kind of interesting. But I'm not jazzed about this game. Shouldn't I be? Um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I think people look at the Eagles and they say, yeah, they're a great team, but they really didn't play anybody. They had to play a backup quarterback in the NFC title game. They played the Giants, who really weren't that good in there. I mean, you know, they were never really touched. And it's almost like the Eagles have, since maybe week three, four, five, been declared the best team in the league. Yeah. And maybe people are almost sick of them. I a hundred percent think the country has Chiefs fatigue. Oh yeah, I a hundred percent think that. Yep. I think I think that the Chiefs are viewed now as the villain of the league, and it's amazing that that's the case and how quickly that's happened. They've won one Super Bowl. Yeah. Now they've gotten to two, sure, but you know they're in it every year. I think people are a little bit sick and tired of that. Uh, you know, I, I do a little substitute teaching on the side, and every class I take attendance for. I always, I've been asking the last two weeks, Eagles or Chiefs, and most of my classes, even the young kids who, uh, you know, they, they had a New York Times poll or whatever poll it was that kind of said, like, who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? And the only generation that was rooting for the Chiefs was Generation Z. Uh, even the young kids that I have, have, taught, have said, no, we want the Eagles. Um, so that's kind of fascinating to me. But I agree with you. I think there's a lot less hype. I think the whole Kelsey brothers storyline is way overblown. Yeah. Um, I think the Andy Reid story, it was it was a cool story last week into it, but there hasn't really been anything this week that you've seen in interviews or anything like that that has gotten you like, Oh, that's interesting or you know, you remember some stories back in the day where, where players used to, you know, you know, talk a big game before the game and Right talk about other players before the game. I can remember, you know, Freddie Mitchell back in the day with the Eagles talking about Rodney Harrison and then did absolutely nothing in the Super Bowl. So, you know, there's there's some stuff like that, but this has been one of the quieter Super Bowl weeks that I can remember. Yeah. And maybe it'll hype up during Saturday and maybe Friday and Saturday. I don't know. Um, so uh, news from Chiefs camp, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been activated. You think he's going to – I mean, he's been out since, what, the middle of November? Um, with a high ankle yeah. sprain, I mean uh, the same the same kind of uh, issue that uh, that Mahomes is dealing with. But I mean, this is a guy that that could could be a factor if he it really is one hundred percent healthy. 
Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, I just I think Pacheco has a. I think Pacheco. Sorry to burst your bubble. No, no, it's okay. Pacheco has such a stranglehold on the on the running game. I say Pacheco, and McKinnon has been just such a weapon. Yeah, he has in the passing yeah. game. I just don't see a lot of a role for Edward Solaire. I think the reason for this is just because Miko Hardman's not playing. So okay. you know yeah. uh, they they they're adding somebody up there. There's a question of how healthy Kadarius Tony is, how yeah. healthy Juju Smith Schuster is. I mean, they're going to be pretty banged up at receiver here going up against a pretty good secondary. So, Edward Solaire, good for you. Maybe you'll get a snap or two. I don't know. I guess for me, I was, I was, always, I was a fan of his when he was in college. Um, I was a fan mm-hmm. of him when he first came into the league. I, just, he, I thought he was, he was a fun guy to watch run. And uh, so I'm kind of rooting for him. You're right. He's probably not going to see a lot of snaps because Pacheco has really – really stepped up uh, uh, this year. Um, so if those receivers are all as banged up as you fear they may be, I mean, you know, it was it was carnage in the, uh, in the AFC championship game. Um, what does that mean for Patrick Mahomes? And we don't know. He says that ankle's healthy. But, you know, at the end of that AFC championship game, he was – you know, he was on a wing and a prayer. So, you know, what does that mean for the Chiefs? I mean, does that mean they're going to be run, 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 and run some more? Um, not necessarily. you got to remember, the Chiefs' offense, and we talked about this a little bit before the championship game, the Chiefs' offense is very different this year than it has been in years past. And, you know, the reason obviously being because Tyreek right. Hill is not there anymore, but specifically – Mahomes has been a lot more patient uh, and throwing the ball down the field. He hasn't thrown the ball down the field nearly as much. They've run a lot of more sets with more tight ends and more running backs than they have ever. In fact, when they run three tight ends, and again, we'll get into the analytics just a little bit. I'm going to touch it. Not much, just okay. touch it. All right, I'll allow it. There's a, there's a measure called <laughs> – I know, bear with me. There's a measure called explosive uh, explosion rate. Uh, and it measures explosive plays, so plays that might go 20, 30, 40 yards, right? Okay. The, when the Chiefs were running three tight end sets, they had not only were they the most explosive team in terms of in terms of three tight end sets, they were more explosive than any other offensive unit in the league, including the Dolphins this year, who had the number one uh, number one just regular total all formations. Uh, offensive explosiveness rate. They were more explosive than that with three tight ends in the game. Okay. Like, it, it, they get guys out in space and force you to go tackle them. And the one thing that's great about it, Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I mean, they can totally rely on Travis Kelsey because he is just such an unbelievable force at being able to not only get open, but create plays after he catches the football. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a huge issue they will have Sky Moore. They will have Marquez Valdez Scandling. So that's a positive for them. You'd like to see them have Juju out there just to have another guy, but we'll see. Uh, but in terms of in terms of how they're going to run their offense, I think they're going to run it through their tight end, and I think they're going to run it probably through their running backs in the pass catching game. I think Derek McKinnon will probably be a big factor just because the Eagles play a lot of drop back his own coverage, and I think he's going to see a lot of action out of the passing game. We we saw the the Cincinnati defensive line pressure Patrick Mahomes all day. That Eagles defensive front is better mm-hmm. than Cincinnati's, um, so Absolutely. that has that has to be a concern. 
uh, if you're Andy Reid, does that mean, you know, and maybe maybe your your idea of using those running backs in the passing game, does that mean it's going to be more of less down-the-field kind of plays and more kind of the uh, short to medium kind of passes just to give Mahomes the time because of the fear of that uh, Phillies, or, yeah, Phillies, the Eagles defensive front? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that could be definitely a play. Um, Mahomes has been very good at getting the ball out quickly. Yep. But the Eagles, with their rush, have been one of the fastest uh, rushing teams. They get on you very, very quickly, especially against the Blitz, uh, or with the Blitz, rather. Now, where I kind of see it is I think Philly could implement the strategy to say, okay, you want to throw the ball down the field? You want to you want to get the ball out to Travis Kelsey, you know what? We're not going to do our regular five man rushers. You know we're not going to do that. We're going to go four man, and we're going to see how patient Andy Reid is, and see if he will actually run the football. I think that that could be a strategy that the Eagles kind of implement. But you're right. Even though the Chiefs' offensive line as a unit is really really good, they have guys like Andrew Wiley and Orlando Brown that are just not very good in terms of you know. Uh, run blocking, pass blocking, they're very grabby. Um, I think that they could exploit a couple of those guys, especially guys like Hassan Reddick, Josh Wett. I mean, the problem is the Eagles are just so rotational, and they have so many guys that can rush the pass rusher. It's really hard to to know who's coming where and and who's lining up on which side of the ball. It's tough. So I agree with you. I think the Chiefs have a real handful with that that D-line. Let's look on the other side and, and take a look at Jalen Hurts and Jalen Hurts, who you know wasn't a hundred percent at the end of the season, wasn't a hundred percent in the playoffs. Uh, you know, hopefully those you know the you know the the extra week off will help a little bit. But Jalen Hurts is a guy, you know, you know, obviously it's his first Super Bowl, but Jalen Hurts is a guy that's been in a lot of big spots before, wasn't he? On well, didn't he play in three national title games when he was in college? I mean, this is a guy, and this yeah, is a guy. You wouldn't think that the the moment would be too big for him here, would you? No, I think he's very level headed, and to be honest, you know, he's probably my favorite player in this game just because of where he's been. I mean, think about it. Five years ago, he's getting benched for Tua right in the national championship right you know yeah and he had to come out and then he sat the whole season in 2018 and and came in for Tua in the SEC title game to win that game he gets out he transfers he becomes a second round pick nobody really knows why Philadelphia picked him and he's had this crazy road where he's just he's just done all the right things and he's such a good kid and 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 the way he handled himself at Alabama that was really hard but it's all paid off. And my, how the tables have turned for him and Tua, haven't they? <laughs> I, so I, just I, I just that. Yeah. that last one. And I know. Yeah. That's right. So, I mean, between, between that. But I think that he's not as – it won't be as big for him. This is going to be really hard for, for Kansas City because the Eagles' O-line is just so physical. I yeah. mean, I, it's, it's a really difficult thing to stop. And it's not just about the O-line, but it's about getting uh, getting – uneven matchups numbers wise on one side or the other. I think the RPO game for the Eagles is going to play a huge role, whether that's giving the ball to Sanders, having somebody be able to, to you know, call a tag where you tag a tag an option for, instead of handing the ball off, they can throw out a bubble screen or throw or, or have a, a play action off of that RPO game, or they can add in an extra blocker and have Hurts run the football. I mean, there's a lot of things they do to counter all the moves 
that Kansas City will do. And again, I think, honestly, Chiefs are really good at taking away the top two receivers. I think you could see a big day from the tight end. I mean, we talked about Kelsey. I think this is a tight end Super Bowl. I think Goddard is going to have a major, major role in the passing game for the Eagles. And I think they will actually pass the ball a lot more. They can't just double-team Brown and Smith and expect Goddard to to go one-on-one with somebody. It's not going to work. Plus, they're smaller in the secondary. They're much less experienced, even without passing the football. I think even a bigger key is the pass is the run game blocking from the tight ends and the receivers. If they want to go outside, it's going to be hard for those corners to get around them. I'll tell you that right now. So this is a really hard matchup for both, both defenses. I definitely think that. Yep. And the way I think Kansas city will approach this, because I figured that's where we're going yep. is Spagnola has to create confusion on the, on the offensive line. He doesn't like to. He normally has been a blitz guy. This year, he hasn't been a blitz guy. He's only sent four rushers majority of the time, mm-hmm. and I think that you can do that. But there's something called a simulated pressure, where you're going to send four guys, but you have no idea where those guys are coming. Which from. four are coming? Yeah. So I think to create, yeah, exactly. So it, it's sometimes referred to as the amoeba defense, yep. if you will. Yep. We're getting technical, but I think that. I think that that's what Spagnola has to do that a lot. Create confusion. Do never let them know where each, where the four rushers are coming from so that the Eagles can't get on their blocks. And that might stymie some of the rushing game. So when we talked, when we were talking last week in the NFC championship game, and you were talking about the fact that the game was going to be decided in the trenches. I mean, that's, you know, you know the old, the old cliche that it was really going to be a battle of, you know, which, which front, was able to. It sounds like we're looking at the same thing in this game. It's really going to come down to the battle of the offensive and defensive lines. Yeah, much more so for the NFC Championship than the AFC Championship. Right. I think we talked exactly. about yep. the AFC Championship being about stars. Right. This is a line of scrimmage battle. You know, I mean, the Chiefs have a good old line as a unit. I, I do think they have weak holes. The, the Eagles, just whole unit, everybody across the board is really, really good. I think. You might say Jordan Maialata might be the weak link, but he's still a pretty decent left tackle. Okay. Um, I, I do think that this is a line of scrimmage game, and it will certainly be fascinating because I think the offensive coaches are just such at an advantage. Because think about this, Gene. The Eagles, uh, I'm sorry, the Chiefs have yet to face a defense this good. Yep. But the Eagles have yet to face a quarterback this anywhere good. near this good. good. Yeah. So that's yeah. the whole rub, man. That's That's – when the Eagles' defense is on the field and the Chiefs' offense is on the field, I mean, that's really where you're going to see the meat and potatoes of this game. The, uh, the I don't know if you want to call it the X factor, but if this comes down and it's, it's going to be a matter of which head coach makes a mistake, who's going to make mm. the mistake? Andy Reid is notorious for having clock management issues. <laughs> Sirianni, you know, look uh, – this is his first time, and you know, as a head coach in in a game this big, uh, which one of these coaches blinks first? Huh. Well, I I think that's a hard thing to tell because it's going to depend on the situation. Um, you know, I think you're right. Reed has had a lot of issues with clock management, and good. Andy Reed's one of the best coaches of our generation. There's no question about that. But he does have his weak points. I'm sorry, he does. 
And I think that, you know, he's going to have to at some point make decisions probably on exactly what the Eagles front is going to do. I think personally that is going to probably be when the Eagles only send four rushers and not five. Will he have the patience to run the football a lot and slow the game down? Or will he continue that passing game in the past? I know that he has kind of just lived and died with that passing game, but we shall see. I think for Sirianni, the challenge is maybe to not necessarily kind of overthink things, you know, you, you kind of have to trial by fire. You're kind of what they did in the 49ers game is this. They started running the football. They tried to see where they were lining up, whether that was, and and then they figured out, okay, most of the stuff where we're going to get our advantages are on the weak side of of the line. So let's go there and let's figure out, what goes and if it doesn't work in the first quarter and the chiefs have some type of interesting phenomenon they're doing and Spagnola's throwing out different concepts and that and the other stick with it you know you have the better team you you have you know the 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 more talent uh the beefier line all those things we just got to figure out the right strategy honestly you know that that's what i see from philly it's and and really from kansas city too is which which coach can be the most patient? That's a hard thing to do in the Super Bowl. All right. Well, we've uh, we've beat it to death. The Eagles are a one-and-a-half-point favorite, a line that has stayed pretty consistent. I think it was started at two or one and then went to two, but it's been at one-and-a-half for most of the week. Who's going to win this game, Dan Zampano? Oh, well, this is, you know, I think these are the two best teams. You know, obviously, you got two one-seeds back in the Super Bowl once again. Um, offensive firepower will be out, outlandish. I think the Eagles have a distinct advantage on the offensive line, like we talked about. I think Mahomes will have a lot. They, I, it's going to be hard for Philly to get adjusted to, to how athletic and good Mahomes is. Uh, I think the ankle will be mostly fine unless something happens in the game that, that hinders it. Um, you know, if, if nothing happens like that and they don't really get to him, I think Reed will have a really good strategy and scheme coming up for the Eagles, who are who are very aggressive um, at the cornerback position. So we'll see how that goes. However, uh, to me, as I've said all season long, and as I said at the beginning of the year, they were my pick for a reason, and I'm going to stick with them. I'm going to take the Eagles to win this game. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I just think the Eagles have less things to do to win this game. They're not so reliant on just one player. They will rely on their unit. They've been the best team all year long. I'll say it's a high-scoring affair, but I honestly believe that there could be potential for possible blowout going on in this game. Really? So uh, I I think it will be high-scoring, no question, but I think it's probably going to take the Chiefs 30 points to at least win this game, and I'm not sure they can get there. So I'll conservatively say Eagles 31, Chiefs 24, final score in Glendale, Arizona. All right. Well, I, that listen, Philly's where my people are from, so I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of I'm going to be wearing a little bit of green <laughs> hey, on Sunday. Uh, me too. I, my fiance is an Eagles fan, so if I don't say Eagles, you oh, know what's, yeah. what's going on. So the wedding's off. That, That's so. what that means. <laughs> yeah. Over, be careful what I say. Over know? under on how many cars are burnt in the city of Philadelphia for the celebration if the Eagles win. Oh man, how, <laughs> how many cars are in the city? I mean, that's, that's a good question, uh, you know, because I, I, I got to sit through that. I got to sit through her with the Eagles fan thing going oh, on. Oh, Lord. I got a brother who's an Eagles fan. 
she's going to be watching Rihanna all day long. Huge Rihanna. I mean, this is like Christmas for her in, with this whole situation uh, of the uh, Super Bowl. So I'm, I'm it's excited. Totally crazy. I'm excited. Chris Stapleton's doing the national anthem. I'm very excited about that. Awesome. I'm a big, big fan. Awesome. That is a great choice. Yeah. Great, I, great, great. One of the best concerts I've ever been. Yeah. To he's, uh, he's, he's quite a talent. Uh, last thing. A, is Gronk going to make the field goal? B, do you have money on it? Uh, no and no. <laughs> you know what? That You're a smart man. And I'll leave it at that. that, that, that a boy. That a boy. Dan, listen, it has been a blast all season. We'll have you on next week to kind of uh, put the ribbon on this season. And then we'll we'll get ready to uh, – we'll, we'll, we'll lock you in a room so you can start looking at all those college kids that are going to go uh, – uh, in the draft, and, and we'll get you on then. But we'll have you on next week for a, a postmortem on the on the game. I appreciate you spending some time hey, with us this morning. I I already got the cornerbacks done, so my <laughs> cornerbacks list is good. I'm just waiting for the combine. Wow! But I got to go through all the rest of the stuff. We got a team to rebuild, right? I mean, we get we can't be sitting out uh, on our couches in January anymore in New England. So, uh, but I appreciate all you do, and you know, it's always been fun. The last, I mean, however many years we've been doing this, it's always great, and this is. Always a little bit of a sad time, but it's also you know bringing about new things. It's so not. It's not a sad. I, uh, not a, I'm very excited. Not a sad time for me, my friend, because pitchers and catchers report to Florida on Tuesday. <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah, I I I I I bend the knee then to yeah. you. That's that's fantastic. So I appreciate you, Gene, and let's have a great Super right. Bowl, huh? Dan Zapano here on Sports Country Radio. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hey, we lost one of the greats uh, in uh, music yesterday. Uh, Burt Bacharach passed away at the age of 94. Hell of a run. I mean, you, you make it to I'd, I'd love to make it to 94. And uh, a guy who was uh, part of a songwriting duo with Hal David that had 70 number one hits in the United States, countless ones uh, over in um, uh, Britain as well. Uh, won a couple of Academy Awards. He won a bunch of Emmys. Um, his Academy Awards were for the soundtrack from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and uh, he was nominated for some others. The soundtrack, uh, he wrote the soundtrack uh, for the uh, uh, for Arthur, uh, for What's New Pussycat, Alfie. I mean, he just, he was everywhere. He wrote number one songs for the Carpenters. He worked with so many different people, uh, including uh, Elvis Costello uh, as recently as uh, five years ago. Um, and uh, just one of the greats. So we're going to leave you this morning with a little music uh, from uh, uh, Burt Backrack. This is a song that he wrote with Hal David. Raindrops keep falling on my head. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.